Welcome to Ammonite Movie Night, the show where everything's made up and the points don't matter. As always, we are Kevin Jared. Hi, Jared. Hi, Jared. And together, we review movies. Tonight, we're continuing our Big Fat Crazy Summer in New York series with uh, this week's theme is... What do we call this week's theme, Jared? Battle for the Cowl. Oh, that's right. This is the first round of the Battle for the Cowl, our uh, quote-unquote quote ongoing tournament that will be decided <laughs> pretty much ad hoc to decide who truly was the best or who we find perhaps to be the best. And there may be some hot takes here tonight uh, at playing the bat. There are many of them. There are many people who put on a cape and cowl and go, boo, I'm a weird guy. My truth, I think my overall favorite Batman might be the guy who played Drew Carey's friend on the Drew Carey show. A wild, oh. a wild story. We may oh. uh, have to explore that elsewhere sometime. But until then, it is time to do our little show. Jared. Yes. What have you been watching this week? So I've been mostly just watching anime. Like, Yeah, it continues. Just, just chilling. Not a lot of retro crush, unfortunately. Um continuing my my uh this is not this is not anime but it's adjacent i've been continuing common writer ryuki it is cool it is great and it's surprisingly funny the writing is getting stronger with each episode like you get the feeling that these people really care about what they're putting out which is nice it's you would not expect something that's you know traditionally marketed towards children to have so much care put into it but as for what I've been watching, like that's actual anime, Spy X Family. Yeah, I've heard a lot of hype about this around the the manga in my comic circles. People seem to really dig it. It's really sweet. Um, the, the for the for those that don't know, the basic conceit is a spy named Twilight has to. His mission is to infiltrate a very pre- prestigious school. And assassinate so a high up member in there, and to do that, he has to do it as naturally as possible. So, along the way, he has to he picks up a person who stands in as his wife, and adopts a daughter. The wife, his oh excuse me, <clears throat> wife, is secretly an assassin herself, and the daughter is an adorable is an adorable precocious little gremlin who has ESP. All three of them don't know these aspects of each other. It's very, it's Kevin, Yo. it's a very, it's very well set up. Having the little girl be like the center of it in that, you know, they, they all care about her and she has to go to school. She, a lot of the plot revolves around her, but the Twilight, the father figure, the spy, trying to maneuver Anya, the little girl, to like, okay, befriend the, the son of his target. Or make sure Anya gets really good grades, so she enters like the inner circle, which will let him get closer to everyone in the to the inner circle, which is his um has his target. And that's the basic plot, but Anya isn't just a plot device or tool or just a mascot. Having her having her um having her no, like, you know, be able to read minds, she becomes a part of the plot in a way that you couldn't do otherwise. Right. And she actively destroys people's mechanism because she's six years old and trying to help. And it's very sweet. There's no infighting among the three main characters. Like, they all grow to love each other over time. 
and to be completely honest, I don't use this word a lot, but it's it's da- got dang wholesome. Huh. Very sweet. Kevin, I think you'd like it a lot. It goes down like water. It's very comfy. It's very silly and absurd. You'd get a kick out of it. This like, is on, I think it's like 12 episodes. Uh, wait a minute. That's all I needed to hear. Yeah, there we crunchy go. Crunchyroll? Yeah. Well, jeez. Yeah, um, it is, it's on Crunchyroll. It's... Yeah, it only it's only eleven episodes. The manga is nine volumes. I haven't I haven't read it, but I'm assuming it goes down like a Yatsuba, where like you just yeah. get through it and you're like I you heard a lot about the, the manga. Mm-hmm. I heard a lot about the manga. Is is that on the Shonen Jump app? I do not know. I don't have the Shonen Jump app myself. Okay, folks, we're gonna take a a detour. That is going to get edited out. Shonen Jump Plus. Um, yeah, that's the online version, I guess. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, here it is. Viz.com Shonen Jump. Oh, sick. I... Spy X Family. And there's chapters coming out all the time. Yeah. This app is amazing, by the way. This uh, This $2 a month Shonen Jump app. Mm-hmm. I I need to, I need to read more manga as a whole. But the fact that Shonen Jump Plus has Fire Punch means I can trust it. I can trust them to like know what to put up, just good stuff all around. Like I want to go on an anime journey so bad because I've <laughs> never seen any of this stuff. I've it's... never read it, I've never seen it. I I I feel incomplete. It's so much fun, Kevin. I think you'd I think you'd have a lot of fun. All of the frustrations you and I have with American comic books washed away with manga. Wow. Well, there you go. Folks, I'm on chapter 80 of One Piece, and I think uh, I just read that Oda Sensei is going on a well-deserved summer break in the middle of chapter 11 bajillion. So, although I heard the reveal was good. I did see a major spoiler, but it's one of those situations where it doesn't work on me. I'm invincible. It's it's so far off, and also these words mean nothing to you. You know what? While we're while we're on this, let me take a look. Sure. Crunchy roll trial. Fourteen days. Holy shit! There you go. Boom. Done. I'll watch. I'll watch this. Um. Oh, it's still airing. Yeah, I think it's on. Um, I think it's on episode ten. I think eleven's coming out sometime this week. That's great, man. You know what? Also, the barrier to entry to this stuff has disappeared. Oh like, yeah. Now you're getting professional translation as chapters come out in Weekly Jump. You can read Weekly Jump along with like that was always my dream. My dream was that we would be able to get. Weekly jump one to one. Mm-hmm. And then like I f- stopped following it because they were $6 a month and Walbams wouldn't even carry them every month. And they were the mm-hmm. size of fo- fucking phone books. <laughs> and oh my uh, gosh. You know, something had to give on that hobby. It's always, it's always fun going over when you're a kid going over a rich friend's house and like seeing the room that they house their Shonen jump. Like, Oh yeah. Tombs. I used to have a giant plastic tub of them. My um, mine was a Game Informer magazines. Yeah. I think I had from two thousand three to two thousand 
eight where I just kept them for some completely insane reason. The covers had, were cool. I mean, I subscribed on and off throughout the years, especially after that yeah. redesign where every cover was gorgeous. And oh my st- God, I mean, yes. they still look great. It's the same design idea. But uh, I had when from they the doing Halo the 4. Yes, mm-hmm. the wraparounds. Mm-hmm. I had from the Halo 4, the Halo 2. <laughs> the Halo 2 <laughs> issue. Um, do you remember they used to have like whatever on there? They would have Fantastic Four, the video game. They would have the awful, the infamously terrible, one of our favorite games of all time, Superman Returns. Oh my goodness. It had a good cover too. I remember it being like, oh, this looks like a game I want to play. And then we played it. The Superman Returns cover of Game Informer is amazing. And that cover story is amazing too. You know, these these writers were very, very talented. I think one of them was Dan mm. Riker. They're just very, very good at I mean, there's a ton of people, but that's something yeah. people might know if they're to show. But like they're so talented at making the worst game. Like it's a it's a four-player co-op beat-em-up based on Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer. How do you think it is? It was made in nine months to match the release date of the movie. Like, what do you think that's going to be like? They gave, a, they gave a cover and, like, four pages, four, like, extensive interview pages with screenshots, all that stuff, to From Russia with Love. The PS2 James, James Bond, Sean Connery. Oh, what are you about to say? Okay, that game that is good. <laughs> and I think that that's different. Fair. Very fair. I will also, what amazes me about it is that a media company, I guess in this case GameStop after a while, uh, paid a journalist, mm-hmm. you know, one-up hired Robert Ashley to do a lot of stuff for, for GCW, a professional, a GFW, whatever it was, the computer magazine. Yeah. Uh, and all sorts of other journalists to, like, go to these studios, stay in hotels, and go to, like, Iceland and shit. Absolutely crazy. Absolutely crazy. Rip magazine Kevin, features. Kevin, did you have the one where uh, they had uh, Fear and Respect? Yeah, I was going to bring up Fear and Respect just now. Do you remember reading that article? I remember sitting there reading and thinking like 13 or something. Like, I'm not really into Snoop Dogg, but this whole Fear and Respect meter is kind of neat. That's a yeah. very interesting idea. They ended up figuring that out for Sleeping Dogs. Um, yes, they did. That is the Another mastery of the meters. But uh, I don't game. know, man. Those screenshots were vi- were like not it. <laughs> Have you seen? I think there's some beta footage that is, or I guess alpha footage that has come out. Oh yeah, that was like a couple of years Disaster. ago. Disaster. That you know, I wonder. I wish that somebody would upload scans of those, or or someone would offer. You know, if there was a Game Informer service that for like ten bucks a month you can go back and read some of this stuff. Oh mm-hmm. my god, I would love to read the cover story for games that got canceled. Like um ah. that fucking um the first person shooter based on Command and Conquer Tiberium mm-hmm. that got canceled. And that was a they major AAA EA title and it got the whole treatment. I mean, it's the same article. We went to EA and they told us this wasn't going to be the same game everyone else has made and in the hallway you shoot aliens, <laughs> you know, like uh that game didn't There's... work out. I, I remember the Metroid Prime Two issue. Same. That was a big one. That was a that was yeah. a moment. Because the at the time the editor in chief at the time I don't recall his name. He was a big Metroid fan. Yeah. And he was ecstatic. It's crazy. It's a wild time. Um. So 
Uh, I will get a card. I... So listen, sure. here's yeah, yeah, here's yeah. my bargain to you. I'm trying to get mm-hmm. some control of the show. <laughs> but it wouldn't be Big Fat Crazy Summer in New York if we didn't just talk about stuff we like forever. Yeah. Right? Like we did for 45 minutes before we got started tonight. It's um, our podcast and we make the rules. That's right. What are you going to do? It's Batman episode. Whatever. <laughs> We're building. We're building up to it. We're building up to it. This is I, like in um, Dudley D. Wright's Ripsaw Falls. They have the the dip. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Have you ever been on that ride? You almost hit the train and you do the little dip in the dark. Spooky. I know what you mean. It's like when you have a dream and you feel the fall come and then you wake up in bed and fall asleep less than a minute later. Right. That probably wasn't what you meant, but that's how I felt about it. I got you. You, We were talking about, like, spoilers and being unaffected by spoilers. I finally picked up the three-body problem today after it's been on my list for ages I heard recently that it was going to be on Netflix. I started talking to friends about it. It's like, oh, I need to read this before it becomes a Netflix thing. Sure. So I'm shoving all my books to the side. Sorry, Closer. Sorry, Alice Tiptree. Got to read the three-body problem first. But to continue anime talk, I revisited (laughs) Howl's Moving Castle. Yeah, okay. I've never seen this one. My truth. It's very interesting. It's hmm. describing it does nothing. Describing it does nothing for the movie. It's a Miyazaki film. You right. need to well, sit down and experience it. It's it's based on a book, and I re- I really want to read the book because this movie's plot is it's very loose, very based on the whims of the character, which I very much enjoy. But I can't describe it. Beautiful, beautiful movie. Feels alike. A lot of it feels like not a coming of age, but maturing. I feel like the term coming of age is a very specific idea of maturing. And when I say maturing, it's leaving childish things behind. Right. Huh. It's like when you know, when you are mature and you're getting rid of the things you no longer have any use for in your life or are holding you back from realizing your true adult potential it's i liked it a lot more than uh the first few times i saw it something about it this time was just it fi- something finally clicked it might have just been a mood thing you, you know how it is when you're just not in the mood for a certain thing oh and totally. this time was just oh so this time was just oh this is a wonderful little movie and i mean it's miyazaki go watch it it's great highly recommend <laughs> we'll get there um, but honestly, that's really it for what I've been watching. Doing a lot of video games. I'm very close to beating Cadence of Hyrule. Hey, nice. Very good game. But yeah. I mean, it's also a game that's built for me and what I find interesting about Zelda. So I, uh, <laughs> what do you expect? I turned on story mode in uh, whatever the hell, Jedi Fallen Order. Yeah. What'd because I have no shame. And uh, man, <laughs> the... I feel like uh, the the blindfold has been ripped from my face and I've been led out of the cave. Mm-hmm. Man. You know, all I gotta say, I feel like I could actually beat this game now. There are points that are very challenging that, like, test how you spec your character that uh, are very difficult. And sometimes you just don't want that. So. <laughs> it's... 
it's i mean it's mm. that's the thing with the dark souls fo- formula it that sort of stuff like making it very hard works for dark souls because that's the setting and this is star wars it kind of needs to be accessible you know oh yeah and there's also i i want to note about jedi before we before we move on I do want to note there's nothing like the old school original trilogy Star Wars aesthetic of giving up and running away. Like, I don't think the game is designed this way intentionally, but the mm-hmm. fact that it allows me to like try to engage in a fight and then just go, oh my God, this is not going to work or run up against something and then see like 10 enemies and then like cart around like Han Solo in that one uh, hallway that got <laughs> way bigger later on in life. Um, <laughs> it's, it's still amazing. One, still one of the best scenes in that, um, in the entire movie, I think. That's true. Uh, and then we'll talk about the other game I'm playing next week. I'll talk about Lego star Wars, the Skywalker saga, which is like Ooh. finally after like 15 years and like two dozen games, a worthy successor to Lego star Wars two. Mm-hmm. It's wild. The steps, like the innovation, they've done some really interesting stuff, but this is like wild. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a totally different game. And just some good stuff. I like Harry Potter for the record, but this is like, whoa. Sure. I've been thinking about picking that the new Lego Star Wars up just because it's it looks interesting. That's like the only thing I can say. It just seems like an interesting experience. An interesting way to play these uh, play through these stories. Yeah. What'd you start with? What are you playing on? I am Prequel, on episode sequel. one. I am going through the chronological order. Nice. And it's it has nothing to do with Rogue One, Solo, none of that. I don't think that's in there. I think it's the Skywalker saga only one through nine. And okay. uh, yeah, you could pick one, four or seven when you start, but I have not seen those yet. I imagine it's like as kind of easy and floaty as the other ones, although mm. probably with more variety because it's like yeah. kind of open world and stuff, but I, I really haven't started it. I will uh, have a detailed report next week. What uh? Well, actually, wait. Uh, what movies have you been watching? Anything? Anything wanna? Anything uh, stick out let, to you? Not a whole lot. I watched Moulin Rouge. I was mm-hmm. not in the mood to watch Moulin Rouge the first time I tried earlier this year, where I mm-hmm. got about twenty minutes in and I was like, "Man, this is like insufferable." Mm-hmm. But the difference is, you know, we're doing for also Nature podcast. We're doing a kind of a journey. I don't have the time to finish that journey before I see Elvis on Thursday afternoon, but I will mm-hmm. probably finish it anyway. Where it's like, you know, we watch a bunch of Elvis movies, watch Baz Luhrmann's movies, and watch the comeback special if we can get access to it. Mm -hmm. So Moulin Rouge, I gave it another shot, and I fell in love immediately. So what changed? It was having seen Romeo and Juliet, like, last week, Mm -hmm. and then having those two pieces in context with each other, where Romeo and Juliet feels very high school. And Moulin Rouge is obviously some of those same kids going to art school and being insufferable well (laughs) uh, other people may call it they're expressing their true selves and they're finding love in music and all this Uh, really great Kevin Kevin, I went to art school it's completely fine to say that artists are insufferable I I don't want to talk about Moulin Rouge great movie Um, (laughs) did you um oh sorry go ahead go ahead I was going to ask about a different movie. Go ahead. If you have more to say on Moulin Rouge. Oh, no. I was going to ask. Um, I saw your review on uh, Everything Everywhere. Did, like, the second... Did the um, second viewing really improved? 
like your opinion of it? Like, did you like it even more? Well, you know, that's a funny story. Okay. I got a DM on Instagram from friend of the show, John Noble. Mm-hmm. And, hey. and we were like, we should go see a movie, but every movie open is bullshit. <laughs> and the only movie that wasn't bullshit was Everything Ever All at Once, a movie we had already seen. Mm-hmm. So we go thinking it's going to be like an empty theater and no one's going to be there. And we actually uh, moved seats and we were in somebody's seat at the end of the day who had shown up at the time the movie was going to start and had bought a ticket before I could like fake snagging it mm-hmm. on the app. Like like a full, like pretty full theater. I was surprised. Because it's like a million I, weeks into mm-hmm. its run. You could buy it on 4K, I'm pretty sure. It's certainly out on VOD. Mm-hmm. And, Honestly, uh, it's, just, it's just wonderful that a non-franchise movie is like this huge blockbuster, you know? It is a huge relief in the wake of stuff like the Northmen not connecting. Well, like, the Northmen not connecting is like no shit. But like... Yeah. yeah. Like, in the wake of that, like, potentially being an issue in the future with movies like this and, and you know, other episodes of this manner, it's, like... It's getting the kind of reception that I expected Tenet to get mm. if Tenet wasn't released in the middle of a pandemic, you know? Sure. Sure. I think Tenet Just... lacks any kind of character. I'm a bit harsher mm-hmm. on it than other people, but I think Tenet lacks a heart that really is attracting people to the film. Mm-hmm. I think it's the oh. heart and the quirkiness and the kind of the jokes. There is one universe that is revolved around a joke that always gets one of the bigger laughs I've heard in a long time in a theater. Is it a spoiler one? Yes, I, I feel like it anyone... is. All a right. Very, yeah, that's it only exists to be a spoiler because it is a joke, but it is. So I don't know. So, yeah. So, you know, I felt the same way. It's funny because I felt the same way coming out of this as I did Uncut Gems. Mm-hmm. Where you had a very visceral first experience with Uncut Gems. I mean, the same kind of visceral experience everybody who really loves the movie has. The very stressful kind of deal. And then mm-hmm. the next time you go, you kind of have that experience again, but you know the beats now. And you can kind of look around the scenery on the roller coaster and kind of soak it in a little bit more. Because, mm-hmm. you know, your body is used to the chemical reaction of the film. Mm-hmm. Very much the same with this movie, where now everything is really making sense when they explain it again. Mm-hmm. You know, this um, the, the actor who played Short Round, who plays the husband in this movie... We were we were talking about how great he is at one of the key, I call it an Amblin vibe uh, element, mm-hmm. which is saying a lot of exposition very quickly, very plainly and clearly. Mm-hmm. So you're having fun. There's a rush of adrenaline, kind of like a sugar rush while you're trying to absorb it. And you can absorb it because it's very clear. Oh, like you have to do something weird because if you splinter off into the universe where you, I don't know, dipped your hand in your coffee and, and licked coffee off your hand, you could get to a universe where you could do kung fu or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I think that stuff's really cool. And it's cool to track. And it's more or less sound. There's some stuff that feels like it was deleted that would have built it 
Um, but the movie is long at two hours and 20 minutes, even though I love it very much and I relish it. You know, sometimes you relish it, even though you're like, we all know you could go. Right. Yeah. Uh, not to, I'm not spoiling it. I'm going to give it a year to spoil it openly, but well, this movie and I'm about to compare it to the Batman. The Batman is another one where the last 25 minutes could have just gone and it would have had a lot of restraint and would have really, uh, I don't know, been a little bit more impactful, but I enjoy it, but I, I, I enjoy it and it works as the payoff to both, both situations for me where you could probably restructure and have it be effective without some of this stuff, but that stuff makes it and seals it. See, I do agree, but where the, I think the Batman, the restraint, it would be needed because it's, it feels like it should be restrained. That, like, the ending feels like this came a little out of nowhere. Where everything, everything, everywhere, I'm, that, that's the title for me now. The excess is the point. Yeah. I feel like you need, like, it probably would have been a lot tighter at two hours, but two hour and two hours and 20 minutes, you need that excess because that's part of it, right? Yeah, I ultimately Many... agree with you, I think. Because you yeah. need the noise because this is a movie about what it's like to try to hold everything together. Really, right? It's about what it's like trying to hold everything together, and it's loud, and there's a lot going on, and you're, and you know, you're diverted all the time, and you're getting tons of information from. You're not even up out of bed looking at your phone, inundated with a flood of information mm-hmm. all day, and that is the frequency I rode, thinking of the ADHD of the movie when I saw it the first time, and it really mm-hmm. does a good job of putting you in that experience if you've never had it and then if you have had it god knows anyone who knows me knows i live moment to moment like that um it's very resonant Mm -hmm. and then i don't know some mother shit i'm joking i'm joking of course it was weird to relate to that part of the movie like a robot and not so much oh i you know you you can get it you can get it most people have had a parent or two. That's you can, true. Uh, you can relate to that. That's true. Anyway, yeah, so I had fun kicking the wheels a bit, seeing the scenery of that. And uh, besides that, you know, kind of movie light. I had a three-day weekend, but I spent all of my movie watching time watching the movies we're going to be talking about today. Mm-hmm. And, uh... Let's do a little introduction to our picks. What do you Hang think? On. Unless you have something else Hang you want to... Oh, we have oh, to do... Got a little I closer. have to do got a little closer. <gasps> I have to do Old Boon. All right. Let's get him out. Let's wheel him out. Folks, I need to right a wrong. This is not a new... First of all, you know, we all like to have fun and read spam, but I only got receipts this week from people. And Roni emailed again with the same note about our non-existent website. So that's the story. Uh, but I need to right a wrong. Our legal department has informed us that I have yet to read the email from Old Boone, the ward of the co-host of the The Revenant Only podcast, now on Stitcher Premium. Uh, good job parlaying that deal, guys. Uh, Brandon is his name. And I said 
weeks ago that I would read this letter from Old Boone as it has been corrected, and now I will go ahead and read it. Uh, it begins, Dearest Kevin and Jared, this is, of course, CEO and executive producer of Ammonite Inc. Old Boone. Uh, that's inaccuracy number one. Now, of course, you know I love the podcast, but also I can't stand it. I didn't watch any of the movies you're talking about in this episode, but I want to stretch my flaps here about the pod Body Horror Strike 2. Now, at this point, we know Kevin will get to most things, and there will be a time and a place for them. And he's right. There will be a time and a place for most things. Uh, where Jared likes when movies are just a nice little thing, but where are the sound effects? Where is the laughter? I'll tell you where the laughter is. It's being filtered out by Zoom right now as Jared just goes apoplectic. I hope any of this carries through. Jared's sound is completely dropped out for me. I don't hear him anymore. I cut my audio so you wouldn't have to listen to my banshee shrieks. Oh, very good. Mm-hmm. Where's the laughter? Well, there you go. Where's the laughter? It's hidden. When I hear about a movie discussion, I want to know that the host will eventually burst out into song. That's not what we advertise here. Strike three. Luckily, this is a 200 strike system, so let's see. <laughs> and another thing. Sometimes I wake up at 6 a.m. and the pod hasn't dropped yet. What's with that? The podcast is supposed to drop on Wednesday, not Wednesday. Oh, I remember what this I remember what this was about. This is, you know, folks, back in the prehistoric era, this show used to drop on Wednesday because I am insane. And uh, old Boone had a problem with uh, the move to Friday, even though it's worked out for everybody else, including our listenership. So uh, there you go. Sorry, buddy. I, uh, I I thought I asked him to correct that, but in the, you know, in the tenor of peace and brotherhood, I will continue. Anyway, below are some movie recommendations I have for you. Um, Joe Somebody, Sweet Home Alabama, The Land Before Time 3, Time of the Great Giving. <laughs> Which, you know, you know, like 12 weeks is a long time or however long this is. But I think there are as many Land Before Time movies. Just something to think about for next year. Hmm. There, there's more. I think there's at least, I think there's 15 Land Before Time. It's like Final Fantasy in a way. He also suggests Mr. 3000 and the song Yellow by Coldplay, which I could probably do an hour on. Uh, anyways, hope you boys are well and do not change a thing. Good night to all Jared and to all Jared a good night with conflict. Boone. Listen, pal, we got this. Let's keep it up now. Professionally yours, old Boone. Oh. We got it incepted there. I'm in a dream. I'll say. Hope to see you again. All right, old Boone. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for that. If you want to be like old Boone, uh, maybe change your priorities in life. <laughs> but if you would like to hear your letter on the show... Or a voicemail, maybe around 90 seconds would be keen. The kids would say it would be real Melvin. You could send it to amntpod at gmail.com. That's amntpod at gmail.com. And uh, we'll play it on the show. Kevin, remember that time I thought Shrek's 21st birthday was the last week? Oh, yeah. Okay, we could talk about this also. We had the first uh, Ammonite reunion since November. 
Oh, goodness, yes. Yeah, it has been that long. We had a small group together, and a handful of my internet friends, one of them in particular, a certain Canadian, he told me that Shrek's 21st birthday was... Let me look. Uh, It was like June 18th or something. I'm all excited about it. He told me about this a month and a half ago. I'm like, oh boy, I'm going to get a beer for Shrek. Wow, wait a minute. It's his birthday. You sustained for Shrek. You sustained Mm -hmm. this like like a month and a half? Yeah. Kevin, I'm not not Googling Shrek's birthday. You were like, gee whiz, I can't wait for Shrek's birthday. I can't. It's his 21st birthday. I'm buying him a beer. All right. What happened when you got to June 18th? I turned to you guys at the table and said, guys, it's Shrek's 21st birthday. I got to get him a beer. And without a second's hesitation, you turned to me and said, no, it's not. It's, it was in April and went back to your conversation. It's like, no, no. I feel really bad sometimes. Sometimes you check have my, to be that Check guy. my phone. Check my phone. Oh, my God. It's not. I go on my Discord. I talk to my internet friends. Guys, this is not Shrek's 21st birthday. And all of them are like, yeah, I know. The Canadian guy told us told us it was in uh it was in June because it was released in June because released in June in Canada the U.S. got it in April I got leafed. This is an insane story. Jared got leafed. <laughs> I got leafed. I couldn't believe. I'm pretty sure I cleared out a couple tables at the diner laughing about this story. <laughs> hey hey hey! More more space for us. We get to put our feet up. We get to relax. Enjoy the beer that was meant for Shrek, but now it's for me because it's not his 21st birthday. <laughs> Shrek still can't have the beer. <laughs> oh, stupid. Oh, this show is stupid. Anyway, that happened. It was great. You guys went and saw Sigaros. I had just seen Kraftwerk. Both wonderful. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about how you got to see Kraftwerk. It was an accident. (laughs) It was good. It was in 3D. Kevin, it's not fair at all. You got to have fun, fun, fun on the Autobahn. And all I got was... And then it crescendos 20 minutes later. I will say, you know, I love seeing you guys, but I was roast out. I feel like that (laughs) first time where I was like, I was coming down with a cold and I was hallucinating Mm. as my cold meds were off. That was the peak, and it wasn't getting any better than that. Nah, I feel that. And that's with love and respect to the the roast. Well, that's all good. You ready to talk about our beloved Cape Crusader? Yeah. You know, our old pal the Batman. Yeah, the, the, the weird guy. He comes down from his little mountain every now and then to say hi. Brings out his wonderful toys. Does a little dance. And pulls everyone else back to jail. Shall we talk about, you know what? I think this is appropriate. We're going to decide right now what we talk about. Oh, heads. Harvey Two-Face pulled out the coin. Heads, Batman Forever. Tails, Batman. The projectionist has the reels ready. Harvey, Harvey, Harvey Dent. Tails. We're talking about... Jack Napier, a name created just for that movie. Yeah. Jared, what is your background with Batman 89? I was not allowed to watch it as a child 
because there's a scene late in the movie where Joker is so frustrated that Batman ruined his plans that he turns to his favorite henchman, Bob, and says, Bob, gun. Bob hands him the gun, and he shoots Bob in the gut. He says, gentlemen, I need to take my leave because he's that distraught. I was not allowed to watch the movie because of that scene, so naturally that's my favorite scene in the entire movie. It's very good. I've, I've seen this movie too many times. It's a lot of fun. It, it, it captures a very specific aspect of Batman, specifically that early golden age before like Robin contaminated the set, contaminated the pool and we, and Batman wasn't allowed to murder for no reason. Fair take. It's of course directed by Tim Burton. So it looks beautiful. Michael Keaton is pretty good Batman. And Jack Nicholson is Jack Nicholson. Everything about this movie probably shaped this next to Kelly Jones art is probably what shaped my perception of Batman. And B and B task, but you know that goes with everyone. That makes a lot of sense. Surprising, uh, revisiting it as adult is as an adult is fun, just because you know you get that childish enthusiasm for, you know, a movie you watched as a kid. You slash wasn't al- weren't allowed to watch as a kid because Bob got shot. It's, hmm. That seems like a before tame could, reason to I censor continue. Batman hmm? before any other litany of reasons that that mirror scene it's oh my god even party man this... feels kind of perverse the scene where um oh man that that especially i'm surprised like when i saw that i was like this is this is this is why i wouldn't let my kid watch this this is unsettling <laughs> yeah but it also uh has a great scene where joker does not want anyone to destroy the francis bacon painting which is the most tim burton joke on the planet <laughs> Yeah, that was, I thought of you this watch. Absolutely hilarious. I like that one. Untitled 1945 in the background. Hold on. I think I like this one. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) I've been to art school, so I get it now. (laughs) Um, what? Like, this is, this is, this movie's kind of built into my DNA. I adore it to death. But what I want to hear, Kevin, is your connection to this movie. Uh, well, I... How do you feel about T-Bert? I love T-Bert. I'm a big T-Bert fan. I think he didn't make a bad movie until 2001, and he's still capable of making at least halfway decent movies. I like some of his movies that people are really uh, rather cruel about. Uh, Although I'll contend that the things that are bad about them are really bad. Um, Mm. His Dark Shadows is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And Ed Wood is probably the best. So it's a whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, Pee Wee's Pee-wee's is the best. Although Ed Wood, though. And anyway, we'll get to both of them in due time, I'm sure. Ed, Eddie. I need we'll talk about the Batman. I need the money. Uh, so my first Batman uh, was my first movie in a theater, which is Batman Forever. We'll talk about later mm-hmm. in the show. And as a result, I don't really have any nostalgia for Batman 89 and a extended world. So BTAS was on, not really something I would watch because I had a lot of attention problems and liked a loud comedy. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why I missed out on a lot of that stuff. A lot of really amazing stuff that I should have been smarter about, like Beast Wars and shit. Oh, Beast which Wars. Which is on Tubi. I 
Ah oh, man, I I sorry. This is a sidebar. I just bought Teenage Mutant okay. Ninja Turtles on DVD, the whole thing, and G One Transformers and Beast Wars and GI Joe are all on Tubi, and I'm like, Kevin, there's nothing stoppable. There's, there's nothing stoppable. Nothing stoppable. Kevin, there's nothing stopping you. I know. I yes, know. there is time. There is time. Time. It's too much. Too much. But anyway, since you started out with. Since you started out with Batman Forever, that was your real... Yeah. What, was it your introduction to Batman even as a concept? I guess so. Yeah. It would have to be. It would have to be. What was it What was it like, you know, enjoying Batman Forever, high camp, colorful, goofy, weird, and then being told, yeah, there's an, there are two others before that, and then you go watch Jack Nicholson act like a lunatic for most of the movie, and Michael Keaton is a deeply subdued, quiet Batman and Bruce Wayne. What was that like, just going back and seeing all this? I mean, I was already, like, an adult when I saw Batman. I, I didn't see it until, like, oh. college, I think. So oh, it wasn't okay. like I couldn't appreciate it. But I never okay. had the – I just never really had the desire because I had heard about it so much. I was like – I feel like I had seen it in some capacity, I guess. Mm. I was dead wrong when I finally got there. But, uh, I mean, there's a lot to appreciate about it. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's nice to watch. Yeah. I was I uh, I kind of, I think of uh, Batman '89 as a Burton movie and Batman Returns as a Tim Burton movie. Oh if my you catch god! My Returns is the one. That um, movie rips. We should. That is. So we should comment that this is the 30th anniversary of Batman Returns. So what better way to celebrate it on a Batman themed episode than by <laughs> than by talking about two movies that are not Batman Returns? Hey, do you know what happens later this year? Yeah, I know, I know. We've discussed. There we go. Things are possible. <laughs> Things are happening. The wheel is not the wheel. Anyway, look, the point is, Batman Returns is the shit. I prefer Batman yes. Returns. Batman is good. I think this movie is great, but it is very, like, you know. Batman 89 is shackled to being a Batman movie, and Batman Returns is whatever the hell Burton wanted to make. It's a movie about I, Christopher Walken more than it's about Bruce Wayne. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Bruce Wayne in the Burton movies, he is he is barely a character. He is an idea of something that the villains reflect off of. He's, he's fun, kind of, and he cuts a good figure. He looks good as Bruce Wayne. I don't know how I feel about, and they kept them for Kilmer to try to keep continuity. Luckily, they kind of gave that up, but uh, mm-hmm. with Clooney. The glasses. But the glasses, yeah. The big Millhouse, like the Harry Potter glasses. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know that for Bruce Wayne, especially since he doesn't have to wear them for Batman. And it's not, mm-hmm. it's not as convincing it's a, as a Clark Kent. I'll put it that way. It's definitely a weird little guy's. A little something that he does to make <laughs> yeah. it seem like, oh, I'm I'm Bruce Wayne. I need my glasses. The Skinner. But they just never. They never. Oh, oh no. Ooh. Oh no. My go roast ahead. is ruined. Go ahead, Jared. I'm sorry. Oh, you're good. They just never address why he wears glasses. It's just there, and you have to accept it. I guess. Never think too much about why he doesn't it's wear them. Okay. I mean, it looks good objectively on both men, but it's like puzzling. Sure. So. Batman 89's plot. It's a Batman story. It's essentially an origin of the Joker. Batman is the guy in these movies, especially these 90s Batman movies. He is the he is the janitor. 
He has very little character development. He has little things that are tweaked through the movie and into the next movie. He's essentially there to clean up. Right. Um, it's really, this is about, this is Jack Nicholson going insane in a great way. J- uh, Jack Nicholson plays Jack Napier. He is a criminal who has been fucking his boss's girlfriend. Boss doesn't like that and sets him up. And Jack Napier with, uh, well, not in part, but Batman with Batman's involvement falls into a vat of acid and he becomes the Joker. And he starts a reign of terror across Gotham. On the side, Bruce Wayne meets Kim Basinger. Then they go to a clock tower. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to... Fucking Jesus. Take your time. Yeah, I mean, if we were going to compare and contrast the two, which I'm sure we'll get to, I think that, I mean, Nicole Kidman and Val Kilmer have much better chemistry. There's there's yes. like a playfulness here, but it's not Burton's priority, and it's very clear that, that he's more focused on the conflict between Batman and the Joker. Mm-hmm. It's... It's made a little too literal in that having spoiler for a movie from before we were born, um, they have it so that the uh, the Joker, as a young man, killed Bruce's parents, which doesn't do anything for me. I don't think it does anything for the characters outside of a very loose t- way of tying them together in a movie way. It feels like something that was mandated by an executive. Yeah. Because the, sur- the movie can survive without that. Definitely feels like a note. You know what I mean? Uh, and, yeah. you know, if you're telling a closed circuit story at the time with no extension or anything, sure. I mean, it works for me as its own thing. Um, mm-hmm. And it pretty much is. I mean, they don't really follow up on that, do they, in Returns? And then it it spirals off into the nightmare verse. It gets a it gets a mention in Forever. Right. And that's it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Sorry. That's right. Which is actually... Mm very smart on whomever wrote forever i'm gonna dream it. i'm gonna attribute to schumacher because he needs more credit for the for his uh for his movies sure but he really but he they use you know the idea of revenge and robin's stuff in forever very well by tying it into bruce looking for revenge in this movie with the joker which i appreciate i thought it was a nice little way of tying it together without weighing forever down um, this whole movie is just, these are just goofy set pieces. Jack Nicholson is tremendous. I let, can we talk about him for a quick second? Oh, we could talk about him for as long as you want. He's the best. Like, I mean, we'll talk about other villains later who are doing a very specific set of things. But Nicholson mm-hmm. here is just Jack at his best hanging out. This is like the peak of Nicholson's power is like this movie maybe a little earlier through the end of the nineties, I think is like the peak of this. Like you came to see Jack uh, Nicholson. I ordered you to bill me first. Now I'm just going to come be Jack Nicholson and we're going to have a good time. The shining began this. And oh, this is sure. the, yeah, this is the, this is like the comedic over the top conclusion. That's that just yeah. continues through the rest of his the rest of the nineties, I think. The, the like the Nora Ephron, if he's in if it's Nora Ephron, I'm sorry. It's like as good as it gets and stuff. Those movies are like mm-hmm. he's just Jack, right? Like yeah. um this is like his I will have to look into this. 
about Schmidt. Anyway. Oh, I need to watch that so bad. It's really good. Seems... I'm an advocate for About Schmidt. We're doing election next week on Austin mm-hmm. Pod, and I watched that last night. It was great. Alex Payne is, is great. Alex Payne is wonderful. You know what's also great? Jack Nicholson's performance mm. in Batman. Yo, he is having the time of his life, the most quotable person out of all these movies, because he's just... It's his delivery. As with all Nicholson performances, it's how he says a word. Because you know how he says it. You hear Jack Nicholson in your head just when you hear the word Jack. Did you ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What a line. So, right? He sells it. He, he sells it. He knows what he's in. He's in a comic book. It rocks. He's doing it perfectly. And then around him is a world that is very... Again, Returns really leans into this and builds it out mm-hmm. in a way that makes it clear that it's like Tim mm-hmm. Burton's kind of fantasy warehouse. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But it's trying mm-hmm. to be maybe a little grittier, if not realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's... It, it, it fits really nicely because Nicholson legitimizes it by being Jack Nicholson. He is the... He is... Um, what, what, what movies like The Batman and Dark Knight try to do where it has a divide of the criminals and then the weirdos who eventually take over crime in Gotham. Nicholson here feels like a a transition where the other where the later movies have a very clear here is Falcone and here is uh, the Joker, right. here is the Riddler. This he's gangster Joker. He is 1940s. Right. He's the 1940s Joker who does randomly die at the end of a lot of comic book issues comes back a year or two later to haunt the dynamic duo he embodies that old tommy gun giggly with a little hat <laughs> character yeah. he's his little hat the best scene is party boy party dance party you i have pose. some trivia about that scene Okay. I'm gonna do. Are you gonna note the uh, the George Washington painting that is sprayed over, and no. in the very next scene, it's not sprayed on. Oh really? Yeah. I didn't know that. My mom pointed it out, and now I can't unsee it. Just there now. Oh jeez. No. Um, <laughs> you know, I heard recently that Tim Burton had used existing Prince songs as temp audio or whatever. He had intended to use the existing songs of Prince, who was signed to Warner Records, and that was one of those, you know, the label puts an artist in the movie. We'll hear yeah. some more of that from Warner Records later in the episode. But uh, anyway, they had used existing Prince songs, and Prince just took the kind of BPM and wrote new songs instead. Mm-hmm. You could tell this, like, someone on Twitter posted 1999 over Party Man. And it's one-to-one. It's really eerie. Like, it's clear they shot with 1999 as the track. It's very cool. Interesting. And it works. And it's a great scene. And Jack is so hilarious. Hmm. I feel like that's that's definitely common, though. So, I remember reading. I remember reading a while back that uh, they use a lot of temp music for Star Wars, obviously. And when Williams, John Williams, was shown the temp music, he used a lot of that to influence where he took Star Wars' music. Interesting. 
Interesting. It seems it seems like it seems like one of those things that's a lot more common than we would think. It probably. You know? I just thought they that probably was have something to guide. I, I think I no. think what I had heard that sets this apart was the intention was to use the existing music, and then Prince was like, "I will write a new album," and he did. So cool. Nothing like an nothing like an eccentric, with a lot of uh, artistic ambition. Tim Burton, Prince, and Batman. Michael Keaton defying expectations. Jack Nicholson excelling expectations. Basinger doing a solid job. Robert Wool as the kind of Paul Reiser style dry comic relief. Mm-hmm. The great Billy D. Williams coulda, woulda, shoulda been Two Face. We'll talk about that. Oh my god, I don't even want to think about that. It's so upsetting. <laughs> so upsetting. I mean, I mean Nicholson's great, but it's a whole up and down the card a great cast, and we haven't even talked about a man I will refer to as Michael Go. We're gonna just go with that oh, as the pronunciation. Goodness who plays Alfred through this whole franchise brilliantly. He's wonderful. He's, he's the heart and soul of this. He's the one character that, oh goodness, outside of Commissioner Gordon, who exists to be a wet tire of a human being. Oh, you love that. Yo, I love thinking about the wet tire. No, Michael Goh actually has like heart and personality through all this. He's, we'll talk about this with forever. But this movie, he's introduced. You can see he really wa- helped. He really wants to help Bruce Wayne, even though Bruce wants to do everything but help himself, because he is Bruce Wayne. And it's just a, it's a through line, and it's really a shame. And I'll, we might talk about this a little bit more. Batman and Robin had a very interesting storyline about Bruce dealing with his men, with his uh, butler father figure getting older. Right. And it was a very interesting mature storyline to glimpse at and then immediately ditch so hasbro can sell you more toys would you like to hear something very shocking and very true i know that happens in batman and robin you want to know something Mm. Uh Uh uh-oh i have never seen batman and robin (sighs) not once it's been memed to death there's nothing there for you i know but we'll what happens at the end of the year, Jared? We watch Batman and Robin. It's get, it gets cold. Well, hey, listen, we we've gave, we've given everybody the monkey's paw on that one. Mm. <laughs> anyway, so uh, just a really great ensemble across the oh, yeah. board. I love, I love Billy D. Williams. Oh yeah, he's he's in there for very little, but he. You feel like there's potential. You feel like there's something that they could go off of. He could have he could have shown up in Returns and been a figure that we care about. <laughs> the biggest problem I have with this movie to this day is how shackled it feels to Batman to the Batman property, which I I mentioned a little bit ago. I, I mean, guess. it is it is the reboot of Batman. Yeah, this it's it's everyone going hey. Remember Adam West? No. <laughs> Let me say no. though, watching actually watching those Adam West shows has has really recontextualized these movies and made them way yes. more enjoyable. Batman in its subversion and forever in its embrace. Like, mm, interesting. Batman. The coolest part is eighty nine is still weird and campy because it's still t- it it might be dark and brooding. But it's still Tim Burton. And if Tim Burton knows something, it's he knows style. Right. He knows how to present 
a beautiful, interesting image. And he knows how to push it even farther. Jack Nicholson in this is a, is a camp saint. He just happens to be a murderer. These scenes that really stand out here are the ones where he's... Burton's allowed to just go wild. Party man. Um, though, in the of uh, my favorite scene from any of these goddamn movies, which is Batman driving down a road while the music does cool stuff. Oh, that's the And you get the, the sense of the atmosphere. Oh my god, I just want to, I want to drink that, like, water. It's so good. It's, mm. That entire little scene is pretty much where Batman the Animated Series came from. This beautiful, brooding, over the, yet over the top, control of iconography. The trees, the weather, the car, the Batman, the inside of the car, everything. That's like the stuff that Burton feels most fascinated with. The world he inhabits, the shapes he creates by composing them together. Jack and Jack Nicholson's there. Jared, how do you feel about Batman murdering? What? How do you feel about Batman murdering? Ah, uh, you know, I feel like you know, <laughs> I don't really care. It's cool. I don't know. I think it kind of rules that Batman. I don't know. Throws a dude head first into a bell. It gongs, and then the guy falls down a shaft. It's so aggressively over the top and needless <laughs> i'm sorry what were you gonna say before i, I talked about violence <laughs> all right jared just going down my notes real quick as we wrap up batman 1989 <laughs> i love the opening of this film you know so much of the movie is dominated by the poster the big batman logo and it's amazing mm. the way that like you're welcomed into the movie by Tim Burton saying like, I know you saw that ad and whatever you're here, but we're going to do a fucked up, weird, dirty rock version of the Batman iconography to open. And then we're mm-hmm. in this copycat, like almost crime alley reenactment with the family, with the young son. Great fake out, by the way. Great, great fake out. Great. Style. Gotham giving the same vibes as like, Jason takes Manhattan in terms of just like dirty crime city pushed, pushed of course to an, uh, toward the art deco extreme that Burton loves so much. Exactly. I, I did note here, and this may be a discussion when we're talking about the Batmans to compare them, but mm. I like Keaton as a scary Batman. I think he's more effective than Val Kilmer is certainly. But but does Val Kilmer want to be scary? Is the discussion we'll have in a minute. Val Val Kilmer is way more affable. They definitely toned him down. Keaton in this, and especially in Returns, is terrifying. Yeah, true, true. They really play. They really play up that his mild mannered Bruce Wayne stuff is a uh, mask for the vicious anger that boils within him. It's true. Like, oof. Ooh. It's true. <laughs> Uh, one other thing I love when they're eating with Alfred in the little servants hall, the little kitchen, the de- the That's Downton cute, Abbey yeah. kitchen, and they're sharing nice mm-hmm. memories. I like that this movie has the bandwidth to include that, along yeah. with Party Man and all this. Um, oh, yeah. Loved the use of television, which, I mean, television was everywhere at that time, obviously. 
So that was mm-hmm. one thing. But I was like seeing shades of Dark Knight Returns in some of those news reports. That was very interesting. And no doubt they that some of that inspired. was taken. Uh, the Joker's oh, yeah. nunchuck guy. A plus. <laughs> they tried to recreate that in forever where they have that little fight. That's right. And that's then he right. kicks him, kicks him straight in the chest. and He does a backflip. <laughs> Sorry. The visual is really funny to me. <laughs> um, he does a backflip. <laughs> Batman 89. Go ahead. Yes. Go ahead. Laugh it out. <laughs> he gets kicked so hard in the chest. He flips. <laughs> That's Goodness funny. gracious. Um, Please, Batman 89 shit. is uh, one of many on a list of movies where a bureaucratic government attempts to keep a public health issue secret while trying to yeah. maintain a major economic event. It's a Jaws movie. If you could believe it. It is. It really is. Um, and my last big note is he gave us a signal. What a great way to end a movie love how it's um the music at the start it's all brooding and powerful and ominous which rules and the very end it's triumphant same theme but it brings it to a fullness a richness signifies that batman has what has he's beaten the joker he saved the day and he's God, he's been accepted among the populace and it, has a, it ends with that great shot of uh him standing out over gotham looking at the bat signal and it fades out good movie it leaves you it leaves you feeling good on the way out it really does i wanted to uh do you have unless you have any more notes i'm all done i do want to give an update before we get into batman forever it has come to my attention that spy x family is available on hulu which i do have Um, oh crap that's perfect that is massive news so and it goes up on hulu Mm at the same time as Crunchyroll, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, t- I wanted to round out 89 talk with, uh, I'm abbreviating because you said this to me a long time ago, but I was talking about how um, I love the poster, how the Batman logo isn't dead center, it's not small, it is too big to be contained. And I, I was telling you like, how I vaguely liked that, and you said that back to me. Like, yeah. He's too big to be contained. It's Batman. And I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm do, I am not doing you justice. But it was the way that it was just so simple. It's because he's Batman. And it also hearkened to the line in Dark Knight Returns. You can't judge him. He's too big. And there you, then you look at the poster and uh, Commissioner Gordon was right. Poor Commissioner Gordon, he gets the shaft in these movies. Yeah, it's true. Not a lot of right, like not a lot of mm-hmm. uh, Gordon. He's kind of a fool. Mm. I'm excited to talk about him for Batman Forever. My favorite scene in any of these, sarcastically. <laughs> so, Batman Forever is your Batman movie. When you were a kid, when you were a kid, when you were a kid. It explains a lot about what I like in life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the first movie <laughs> I ever saw in the theater. It has my guy Jim Carrey in it. It is an ode to my favorite Batman, the William Dozier stuff in the 60s of Adam West. Um, mm-hmm. 
I I love it. Yeah. And then this the big single coming out of it. You know, my dad was a U2 fan, so that gets some points. And then uh, yeah. Seals Kiss Summer Rose, which has nothing to do with this film and isn't even in it. There's, you know, not to get right into this, but there's a Flaming Lips song just in this movie. Is it before or after the Offspring song? Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember. It's <laughs> Edward is alone in his home office uh, plotting Riddler stuff. Yes. He would. He would. He would listen to Flaming Lips all plot. I like it's that. It's true. Flaming Lips signed at the time to Warner Records. So everything has a season. I mean, the Looney Tunes show up in this movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Get a few... Get like a handful of Merry Melody cartoons in the background slash part of Riddler's brain thing. Do you do you like Two Face in this movie? No. Okay. I love Two Face in this movie. Actually, <laughs> yeah. Here's why. I know. So this Let's is this is all gonna sound insane. And I am a zombie, so it's going to feel insane, but we're all going to enjoy it. This movie feels like, okay, so we'll, we'll watch Batman Returns later this year, I think is what we've been saying for the last two hours. <laughs> it's going to happen. Um, with Batman and Robin, and we'll, we'll fix that up. But Oh, goodness gracious. Batman Returns is a fucking, if you haven't seen it, why are you listening to us? Yeah. Um, <laughs> But if you haven't seen it, it's a very grim, very violent movie and not one that small children who would get Happy Meals were prepared for. So you would go and get your dis- disfigured Danny DeVito penguin doll. And you'd be like, mommy, 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 like, let's go to see Batman Returns. And then you go and the first 15 minutes are a silent penguin origin with Paul Rubin's and it as it goes on from there is all I'll say about it until that time. But but if but there Batman... was an there was needed an mm. overcorrection. But my, my, what I'm trying to say is that there was an overcorrection that needed to happen. I think they went a little too far, if only because recently recently it's come to light that Schumacher had more darker ideas, and they do come through in what we got the overcorrection i i like the movie for what it is but man release the schumacher cut yeah do we want to talk about this because this is very interesting there are let's wait let's let's go through the movie first let's talk about the movie we're gonna put a pin in that let's let's have some ground to stand on first guys (laughs) so after batman returns we have to make things lighter we have to make things appeal more to children. We have to sell some toys. And uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Schumacher decides to do this by paying homage to Dozier. He opens the film with a 20-minute interlude with Two-Face that feels like it's right out of a cartoon. It's great. It's so, so much fun. The security guard reminds me of John Candy from National Lampoon's Vacation. Yes. Yes. My feet are melting. Boiling acid. Like the death trap, the music. Hey, that's my hearing aid. Sorry. Like, keep going. You know, you know, the craziest part of this opening 
like Gotham mm-hmm. City is now in a warehouse. Basically, what I meant by it needed to be lighter is that it became mid '90s laser tag. Do you remember mm-hmm. Laser Kingdom? It became Laser Kingdom, where everything is mm-hmm. in black light and it's yellow, it's orange or green rather, not yellow. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> it's a bit of a nightmare. The my favorite shot in the whole movie, which is a two second shot that's used at a pivotal moment in the Kisser Moreau's video, which is Batman turning his entire head around and looking shocked, but almost like a fish of some kind. We'll include it in the Instagram post for this episode. That's like two minutes into the movie. He's like there's a guy with uh, with a sword or something and he turns around to look at him. Mm-hmm. I was amazed. And that's where they re- they recreate the uh, Batman 81 bit. But instead of like him fighting him and then kicking him in the chest to do the backflip, he just sort of looks at him and then kicks him in the chest and he falls over. You know? Yeah. This might be battle for the cowl, but I think you can agree that the Batman 89 version of that was objectively better. Oh, yeah. I mean, Batman 89 is a great movie. This is a movie I feel very strongly about, but is not very good. I know it is objectively deeply flawed. Yeah. But... You gotta give it credit for what it is. Schumacher tapped into like very deep camp roots within Batman and within himself. And look, I'm a nipple supporter. I I'm totally okay with the bat suit having nipples because that is the conc- the natural continuation of the aggressive camp that Batman contains. Right. It's that a Batman symbol. is. These these men are the peak perfection of the human body like the Greek gods, like Greek statues. What better way to do that? That's a really great point. You know, I didn't even, like, I barely clocked the nips. I'm so past the nip conversation. I don't even notice them. The nipples on the bat suit. Never forget. Um, They were a little more aggressive in Batman and Robin, because, like, in this, it's just, like, they're just circles. In Batman and Robin, it's like, those are actual nipples to contain George Clooney's nipples. That's Schumacher's Batman Returns, though. That's when he really yes. gets to let loose. That is an interesting way to put it that I somehow never considered. Goodness, goodness, goodness me. <laughs> when it, I'm tiptoeing around this. I like Tommy Lee Jones' performance, but I really wish he wasn't called Two-Face. Yeah, you know, it's not a great piece of continuity to have Billy Dee Williams out and to have Tommy yeah. Lee Jones in. Uh, if yeah. you've seen them, you know one of many reasons why. Um, it's not a good charisma match either. But I will say that given all of the circumstances, I think Tommy Lee Jones knew Dozier enough to yeah. give a perfect 66 episode. Because that's what that is, the opening. Down it to the Dutch angles that's... used on all the shots with yeah. Two-Face in his lair. And the fact that Two-Face has two uh, sexy sidekicks. <laughs> of course. Absolutely insane. Jim Carrey giving the most extreme Frank Gorsh impression on the planet. Yeah, I mean, he's he's also doing Jim Carrey in 1994, which people thought was like Robin Williams. But <laughs> I, I, I don't know, because he does a lot of the same stuff. In a lot of these Wait. movies, this is an insane year for Jim Carrey. And what they would do is very similar where they would just let Jim Carrey do. I mean, a lot of this stuff feels like he's just doing it. He is one of the few people who can do a pelvic thrust in a children's movie 
And everyone goes, yeah, well, that's Jim Carrey. Let that's me okay. tell you, that pelvic thrust, when he pulls the levers at the end, is probably mm-hmm. the greatest pelvic thrust in cinema. We have to. We should go through and uh, make a chart sometime. Top 10 pelvic thrusts. This has to be up there. And I don't know if you consider the, the guy doing the twist and the Big Lebowski as a pelvic thrust, but that has to be on the top 10 as well. You know what? We're going to get to that very we'll soon. We'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. We'll solve that then. I'm sure I'll remember this in six weeks. <laughs> I'm sure. What do you think of Nicole Kidman? What do you think? I am a Nicole Kidman fan. Anybody who knows right. me knows I love Nicole Kidman. I just bought a lapel pin from Patty Lapel of Nicole Kidman at an AMC theater. Oh. I, I love her. And uh, I thought she was great here. Amazing chemistry with Val, I thought. Way stronger to me than the Vicky Vale relationship in 89. Although the chemistry there is pretty good. It's just different. It's it's very good for someone who's very interested in one person and the other guy really just wants to punch a clown in the face. Right. You know? Yeah, I understand that. This one, this one, they actually have tension and it, it really seems like uh, Val Kilmer's Batman is interested in her both because she's beautiful and because she gets him. But she has this line guys with earrings in high school then guys with their jackets in college then black rubber and all i could think of was just damn she just wants to date rob halford (laughs) (laughs) it's a very 90s line right like very 90s very trailer oh yeah very trailer line black rubber and then it cuts to batman doing something really cool or it zooms in on that happening in like a theater oh goodness you did um does she even have a scene with Chris O'Donnell's Robin? I don't I don't remember. <laughs> I watched this movie yesterday. What is the matter with me? I do not remember. There is a lot of neon in this movie. It's very distracting. Fair enough. I'm watching the trailer now to see if she says it, I have to be honest. <laughs> but I think it's piping they... through to the speakers, so maybe I won't do that. I'm not getting it. Over on my end. Alright. Uh don't worry about it, Jared. Alright. Yeah, there it is. What is it about the wrong kind of man? She fucking says it right in the trailer. Oh my god. You know, God, that might be a scene made for a trailer, but at least it works in the movie. That's true. Batman has so many uncomfortably horny faces. Okay, can we... Alright. It's time to talk about the face, right? From that mm-hmm. meme. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing. I think Val cuts a very interesting figure as Bruce Wayne. I think he's uh, really charming and really great. The mask, his eyes and the mask should have been caught at a screen test. And I think it sucks because it plays it. He plays it so well. Like I'm totally down for his Batman also like blindfolded, but man, like the meme of him smiling in the bat mask is a meme for a reason. It, it looks ridiculous. He looks like a thumb. He looks <laughs> like Thumb Man or like Bat Thumb or whatever. I guess you'd call the the thumb version. The big pro- the biggest problem with this suit, they fixed in Dark Knight, where they just made it a little helmet. A lot of the problems with Batman as a whole would be completely erased. They just helped out with his damn head. 
he looks really silly. This happened in 89, and I've always noticed it. When they run into the alleyway before the iconic scene of him, of of uh, Vicky Vale clinging to him as they uh, grapple hook up. Right. Which is, of course, are so cool. The best. He looks around, looks around, and then to look upward, he just breaks his back to bend and look straight up. Because his neck is just fused straight. And it's the same thing with the Val Kilmer suit. The, the mask the mask looks like it was made for a smaller head. He's popping out of that mask, dude. I'm just checking Wikipedia here to see production, who they may have asked that would have fit that mask. Pretty cer- fairly certain Keaton was out very early, so it wasn't wasn't to do with him. Whom? Oh, Keaton was Keaton out. Keaton was early. out of the movie early. Sorry, you glitched yeah. out. You're good. An offer was made to Ethan Hawke, who turned it down. That would have been crazy. That reform. He was interested in Keanu Reeves, Ooh, Alec Baldwin. Oh my god. This is post Glengarry Glenn Ross, Alec Baldwin also. Could you imagine? I'm sorry. Could you imagine? I, I'm i going to leave that to you, buddy. I think Kilmer's great. I think he looks weird in that. They should have redesigned the suit a bit. Uh, to Definitely. fit his fucking face. If they're going to redesign it to fit his nipples, right? Like, what is happening there? Mm-hmm. I would also love to see Ethan Hawke, Cinderella style, wear the cowl and uh, and see and see if he is uh, Cinderella. It's just like that movie Jack Frost, where I think it was like Clooney's voice, but they wanted it to be somebody else and had even modeled the puppet after that guy. No, idiot. I think it's the same thing, ironically, with Jack Frost, where they wanted George Clooney and they molded the Jack Frost puppet to kind of look like George Clooney. When, if you go back and look at it, it's true. And then he dropped out and Michael Keaton had to take over. I think that may be an urban legend. But if you look at the Jack Frost puppet, I mean, it's right there. I kind of like I kind of like the reversal of uh, Michael, Cle- Michael Keaton as Batman leading to George Clooney. Michael Clayton. And what was thought to be George Clooney is now Michael Keaton. It's full circle. I'm tired of it. Jack Frost is a fucked up movie. I like how people think that movie torched Keaton's career, but in actuality, he would just wanted to hang out for a little while. Then he came back to make Birdman. <laughs> Jared, do you have any other notes about Batman Forever as I scroll through mine? <laughs> I hate you. Oh. I really don't like you. I cannot sanction your buffoonery. <laughs> so good. The funniest thing... The funniest thing ever said by one actor to another. And he was saying it to to the real-life Jim Carrey through the character as well. Um, We didn't talk about Chris O'Donnell as Robin, so we need to get that that done. I think uh, it was a wild idea to cast a 90-year-old man as as Robin. Maybe I just need to re- I need to rewatch this movie with my contacts on. I thought he looked fine. I I liked him. I think weirdly he's, enough. I think what they 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 may have been doing some kind of Dawson's Creek thing where they cast a guy in his mid twenties to play eighteen, but he's just he he is too mature to me. He, he read was... way older. He read Nightwing. So when they did the joke about like, what if my name was Nightwing? I was like, what the fuck. <laughs> Like, what if he was Nightwing? I mean, they kind of get into that with Batman and Robin because they have a lot of contention. Batman and Robin have contention stuff. And the fifth movie, Batman Triumphant, uh, Chris O'Donnell's supposed to be Nightwing and he would pop up 
but that was oh, it. Oh, to tease the Nightwing movie. Bro, he was 25 uh, during yeah, Batman. Yeah, see, Forever. they Dawson creaked him. Man was almost 30 for Batman and Robin. No man should be 30 and Robin at the same time. Yeah, I mean, they did it. Again, they made the same mistake with uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Spoilers for a bad movie. Robin. Oh, the worst shit ever. I'm never picking that movie because of that. Poo-poo. Poo-poo is right. Um, so, I, yeah. I, I, I weirdly liked... Go ahead, go ahead. Please. I, no, I wanted to give my controversial opinion. Do it. I like him in this. I might. I also might have soft feelings for it because Batman and Robin was my first Batman Interesting. movie. Batman 89. Batman 89 is what defined Batman for me, but Batman and Robin is like, oh, when, I'm a, when I was a kid, that's what I watched. Arnie. George Clooney sort of phoning it in, I think, and Chris O'Donnell giving it his best. He almost feels like Burt Ward at times because he's constantly yelling and making a mess. The original Bane? Co- look at the... Look at the cover of Batman Forever. Robin's in the back yelling. And what is Burt Ward but a little man in the back yelling? He knew what he had to do here. Interesting. It's not It's not his fault. He was tw- <laughs> 10 years older he than he should have been. He was 90 years old, in. scampering around, <laughs> climbing up the walls of the Batcave. Good fucking Lord. I'm sorry. How did... As an adult... How do you feel about this movie? Batman 89 for me, it's Batman 89 still works for me because I like thinking of it as an artist growing into himself. You can see the moments of Burton's brilliance where you go, damn, he could make a great Batman movie if this wasn't the Batman movie to redeem Batman after, after, you know, 1960, 1960s. And not to give a future episode of this show away. But sure. when he does that, it is the culmination of the vision. I'm glad he didn't do forever because there was no mm-hmm. need. Like, culmination of the vision. Where could, where could he have right, gone? Exactly. There's nothing left to say. And that's okay. But for you, yeah. how was revisiting Batman Forever as a grown man? Yeah, you know, I actually haven't seen Batman Forever since a fateful uh, story where I used it as a weapon. And I think that's how I'm going to leave it on this podcast. Um, I I have been known to weaponize Batman Forever, and I enjoy it very much. I, I'm I, well, I haven't seen it since then. It's been what 10, 11 years since then. So, um, it's, it's been, been a, a while. Yeah. I really love this movie. I love the vibe of it. I love a Kidman yes. and and Kilmer's chemistry. I like Val, although he looks like a thumb in the bat suit with his little nips. Yeah. I think I took Robin's performance a little harder this time because now I know so much about Robin. In the ten years I started to really read comics and you know, mm-hmm. I wanted more of that with maybe a, a clearer vision of what they were maybe going for with a grown man as the adopted ward. Um, but maybe that could be Dawson's Creek effect. That that's just 1994 at a time at a point you know they sort of imply that he's meant to be 18 yeah at that but, point yeah they but he's he's clearly an adult who should have it's a not job. a great dawson's creek choice and i think he does he, i think he does okay <laughs> with the material but it was a big distractor it was like in freddy versus jason when jason looked like ass and i was like oh i'm not gonna be able to engage at all and there's all sorts of cool stuff that happens in the dream world and there's battles and stuff but jason looks like shit and and robert england to his credit like does a fine job with it but doesn't look Mm -hmm. great like 
toxic, whatever. Anyway, enough of Freddy versus okay. Jason. We'll get there someday. Wink. Um, oh, but uh, Jim Carrey is just doing Jim Carrey shit, and that's fine too. I think that of all the actors in the movie, Tommy Lee Jones is the only one who understands he's in a, a 60s episode of Batman, and that's played to great effect against the contemporary Kilmer Kidman dynamic and the mm-hmm. Jim Carrey 1994 zeitgeist comedy. Where, like, mm-hmm. I was trying to make that point before, and it's not a really strong argument, but uh, Hollywood trying to weaponize Carrie like they did the improv of Robin Williams in films like Nine and a Half Weeks, mm-hmm. which, or whatever it is, the, the one, the pregnancy one, where he plays the crazy doctor at the end. If you know, you know. I do not ick yick that one, my friend. I do not. That was sir. on, that was on no, cable sir. a lot uh, growing up for some reason, so... It's hard to get now, though. Hugh Grant and uh, a famous actress, I'm sure, as the as the wife. I had this one thing I wanted to bring up to you, and it's more about comic book movies as a whole over the years. Oh, I, I love it time... as an adult. That's your, mm. that's your answer. Go ahead, Jared. Oh, okay. Thank you. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We didn't, we didn't uh, quite get to that. All movie franchises will eventually have to resemble their comic book form. Batman. The Burton movies are the golden age because they're violent, dark, and vicious, and kind of weird. The Schumacher films are the silver age because, whoa, I'm a silly guy. Nolan is bronze age because, well, we got to really pay attention to this, and it's very serious and kind of dark and really weird. You have Snyder, which is the dark dark stuff, like the 80s. It's mm. the mid-2000s Jeff John stuff, I I, I think. The the Snyderverse? I, I'm, a, I'm a little I, bit more advanced on the timeline than you, I guess. I I attributed it to the 1980s, and that's not just because Batman v Superman is, what if the Dark Knight happened and you didn't know who Batman was? Right. And the Reeve stuff is modern, and not just because it gives me long Halloween feelings, but because it's very subdued, and very weird, and very quiet, and idiosyncratic. It all follows the line of how Batman developed. The X-Men movies. Very simple. Soap opera, drama, and then it becomes time travel, alt dimension, alternate timeline, nightmare. Wolverine's there too. Pay attention to him. The MCU, a contained, straightforward right. universe that could happen right outside your door. Now you need to do everything or go to hell. Superman, beloved blot box office explosion, then he's boring and Batman has to come out and kick his ass every so often. My note here. I was going to say Spider-Man is the only one not to do it, but the fact that Spider-Man hasn't gone beyond college in any of these movies is so much more accurate to the comics than one could even consider. Yeah, they they took advantage of having a strong reset point that keeps him pretty much where he is. Um, mm-hmm. We'll see. I don't know. He could go to college in these new shitty Sony movies where Craven the Hunter will not hunt animals. So this is the second character they're just going to completely obliterate before it even gets started. Anyway. <sighs> No, I just wanted to. I just wanted to point out that for as many deviations as these comics, as these comic book movies take, they always end up being a mirror of what where they came from, and that's just weird because I never thought about it until now. Hmm. The Batman stuff should have been obvious, but it's like, oh yeah, all of them just kind of become what they're meant to be. That's interesting. You know, a lot of this Marvel stuff yeah. does really feel more and more every week like I'm reading a comic. There is, you know, one of the big moments in Loki near the end mm-hmm. literally felt like a Bendis comic or something. 
which which for mm-hmm. me is a compliment, but uh, it felt weird. Um, as we wind down, we're we're wait, we're moving. We're doing battle from the cowl, and then we are ending this episode. Yeah. Oh, well, I won. No, anyway. well, it's not. Well, uh, you did. You did. <laughs> We've already said that Val Kilmer looks like a weird thumb, and I do like the chemistry more. But you know, uh, it's Michael Keaton. It wasn't going to win. And also, Michael yeah. Keaton is going to win this every time, Jared. That's the issue. It's Michael Keaton. This is a this is a silly thing. Anyway, it doesn't. It also doesn't help that Batman eighty nine. The director's craft shines through where it where it's allowed to, and Schumacher is trying his best, but he's clearly been told you need to make a McDonald's toy, or I'm going to kill you. Fair enough. But Burton. There should have been a movie between Batman and Batman Returns. A, something in the middle of, all right, let Burton do his his Batman movie where Batman Returns is a Burton movie with Batman. You know what I mean? There should have been something beautiful yeah. in the middle that is Tim Burton's Batman. You know what's crazy and kind of sad is that there's latitude for that now on streamers, you know? You may have to oh. get it as an eight-hour slow drip, but there's latitude oh. for that. Like, this James Gunn Peacemaker thing, thing is better than his feature should i watch it no i liked the so you you should try the pilot and if you like it keep watching i'll say that you should try the pilot do i i don't know if you're gonna like it i have to say i really don't know it could go either way his humor is very hit or miss with me unfortunately i want to like it but there's sometimes just this is not doing a damn thing i think cena is great in it and i think the cast all the cast is great okay it also doesn't help that to watch michael keaton show up as batman we have to watch a disgusting creature run very fast for a while yeah, too i i'm not even gonna broach that it's the yeah, end of the show that's yeah don't want to go don't want to go out on a low note but we were talking about the idea of revisiting these these characters or ideas and yeah what can you say not great yeah but it gets michael keaton mm-hmm. back right so there you go yeah i got i could see him it'd be fun it's it's nice i could see him i could feel him anyway um whatever that was all right <laughs> battle for the cowl who wins it's going to be Michael Keaton. Keaton. I don't know why this is so silly. Well, we'll probably compare <laughs> him against. We'll do some more unconventional battle for the cowl episodes. How about this? And we'll see how I'm they down. compare. We'll put it that we'll put it that way. <laughs> Michael Keaton versus George Clooney this Christmas. My god, I wonder how that's going to go. Well, I'm just I that was that was even trying to be mean. Wrestling's fake. But just came out mean. I there you go. I just thought of something very interesting, and we'll have to figure it out. Go ahead. Can I remember it for six months? I don't know. I'm not saying it. Uh, write it down on a little piece of paper and put it next to your laptop. That's right. Then, you know, you'll probably have to write it down again and put it near somewhere else in case a cat gets to it. That's true. Mm-hmm. All right. It's time to end the show. It's time to go to bed. Bye-bye. Uh, the sun's getting pretty mm-hmm. low in the sky. It is time to say goodbye to Ammonite Movie Night for another week. Next week, we are talking about uh, origins of movies that feel an awful lot like Star Wars but are not Star Wars. Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Of course, not Star Wars or Star Wars A New Hope 
but episode one and Star Trek Oh nine, mm-hmm. not Star Wars, a new hope from 1977, but a movie by JJ Abrams that looks a lot like Star Wars and smells a lot like Star Wars and uh, goes places you can't in Star Wars, but feels a lot like Star Wars down to the use of legacy characters, but we'll talk about it next week. Mm-hmm. Until then, this was Ammonite Movie Night for Jared. This is Jared. Also, Kev is involved. He produces the show. Thank you, Jared. Kevin. Say goodnight. Where does Chicago get all that meat? How does Venezuela get all their heat? Where does Adidas get all their feet? You'd like to know the answers now, wouldn't you, boys? Well, tell me then, where does he get all those wonderful toys? Where does he get us? Where do they get us? Where do they get us? Where do they get us? That's easy for me to say. What is it with those wonderful toys? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, rest You're in welcome. peace, Jim Steinman. You're welcome, old Boone. Good night. <laughs>